Welcome to Study the Word Podcast with your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Together we will discover wisdom that leads to salvation and spiritual growth. Here with today's Bible teaching is your host, Dr. Marty Mento. Well, thank you so much, Randy, and welcome once again to Study the Word Podcast. And it is a delight to have you with us wherever you may be listening to this podcast. We're in the midst of a series called The Hope of Heaven. And uh, we are looking at, really, the gospel message. The gospel message is a message of hope. And um, that message is a message that needs to go out into all the world, to every human being. And uh, it is a message that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. Uh, He himself is the gospel. He is the good news. So in essence, when we go into the world, we are telling people about Jesus, And today, as I've mentioned before in our podcast, that unfortunately but true, it's a subject or a focus that I don't hear many Christians today talk about. Many of them will talk about their church, they'll talk about their pastor, they'll talk about uh, things within so-called Christendom, but very few people really engage other people in the conversation about Jesus Christ. And what we have done in this series, we've looked at the word hope. H-O-P-E, one word, four letters, and in it it really is the presentation of the gospel. And last time we got together, we talked about the H, and we talked about the holy God of heaven, that God is holy, and everything that he he does is pure. He himself is pure. Uh, He does what is right. Uh, He is good. He's good all the time. Uh, There is no darkness within God. He is perfect. Uh, It goes on and on. But God is holy so holy that the Bible tells us he cannot even look upon sin without dealing with it. And so we we talked about, again, the H in the word hope. And today we're going to continue in our broadcast, and we're going to look at the word or the letter O in the word hope. And when we talk about um, hope and how this holy God provides hope to all men, he does so by offering all men his grace. And that is something where we have to take some time today and really look at this issue, this topic of grace. And I think a lot of people don't quite understand grace. Uh, I had a conversation not too long ago, uh, actually within the last couple weeks with a dear brother in Christ, and I am convinced that that is probably where the church at large goes array. It, It finds itself in trouble by not understanding grace. And that's why many times, uh, way too often today, we'll hear a presentation of the gospel, which is not the true biblical gospel, but it is a gospel message that is man-centered, about what man has to do, what man is required to do, or how man can do something to be saved. It puts man in the driver's chair, and it really makes the gospel presentation a synergistic presentation where if God does his part, which he already has through his son Jesus, you have to do your part. And, you know, if you come together and you both agree, then, you know, you will find salvation and your life will be changed, etc. But that is not true biblical salvation. And in order for to understand, for us to understand true biblical salvation, we must understand grace. Now, some people have said, and I would agree with them, that when we look at grace, to to bring it down to its most simplistic form, grace is God's unmerited favor. It is his blessing. It is his kindness. 
It's his kindly disposition towards men that is from God. It's in the mind of God. It's a part of the character of God, of who God is. He is the God of grace. Um, and we'll see here in just a little while that when we understand what man is all about, realizing as we did last podcast that God is holy, man doesn't really deserve God's grace. He doesn't at all. But grace is something that is brought forward by God himself. And so I want us to get a good understanding of this topic of grace and how this you know, falls into the whole presentation of the gospel message of hope. Uh, first of all, we need to understand that the Holy Scriptures speak of nothing else uh, you know, as often as it does really of God's grace. Uh, for instance, Exodus chapter 22, verse 27, uh, God says, For I am gracious. How about this? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and in truth. That's from Exodus 34, 6. Psalms 111, verse 4 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Ephesians 1, 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace. So grace is more than just a perceived act that comes from God, but it's actually an attribute of God. It belongs to God. It belongs to his being, his character. It's who he is. He is a God of grace. So as we look at this, we we have to understand that when he is bestowing his grace, he's bestowing something that is a part of him. Uh, God is gracious. He is good to people. Um, and sometimes we just really don't quite understand that. And it comes because of the fact that God is holy. God is good. He's good all the time. And so as we look at this topic of grace, we have to understand that God can only be who God is. And there are many different attributes and understandings of the characteristics of God and his character and what belongs to him. Uh, and I've said this many times before when I have taught that we have to understand the totality of God. Uh, God is love, but he's more than just love. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. God is patient. He's long-suffering. Uh, God is vengeful. Uh, God is right. Um, you know, we could go on and on, and we really need through the Word of God, through the Holy Scriptures, we need to gain a good, wholesome understanding of God. And if we don't do that, then what happens is um, we find ourselves really not understanding God or not even presenting, as I mentioned earlier, the true gospel message because we are presenting a God that doesn't exist in the Bible. Or we are speaking about man and not understanding what God has to say about man. So we create things on our own, and sometimes it's done on purpose because some people don't like what God has to say. Other times it's done in ignorance because we have never studied or we have not been taught. Um, Or it's just sometimes because of laziness that we're not taking the time to study the Word of God and understand what God is all about. I've mentioned this before, when you think of God as a whole, especially in the New Testament, a wonderful place to go, uh, if you have not done so in the past, and I think I mentioned this before, is go to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, it is absolutely uh, amazing when Paul has the opportunity 
uh, to preach and to bring about the Word of God uh, at the Arapega or Arapegas, and he's able to bring forth that, that message on Mars Hill. He, he gives an understanding, really more so than anywhere else uh, in the New Testament, in one particular message, he demonstrates for us what God is all about. We found that, that God is the Father, God's the Creator, God is Spirit, God uh, is to be worshipped, uh, that God is the one who brings life, that God is divine, He's holy, He's deity, He's the ultimate judge, uh, God is the giver of eternal life, and the list goes on. We find this all in Acts chapter 17 in Paul's message. And it's a powerhouse of a message, and I would encourage you to study it sometime and really break it down and look at what Paul says as he defines for them what God is all about. But again here, as we deal with the O uh, in this whole you know aspect of the word hope, one word, four letters, uh, the O stands for, again, God, he offers all men his grace. He offers them his grace. He offers his unmerited favor, his blessing, his kindness, his love. Uh, he offers them forgiveness. He offers them um, truly how they can be saved. They can be reconciled. They truly can be right with God himself. And the reason why this is so amazing is, is when we think about grace, we have to realize what man is all about. Man, when it comes to God's grace, uh, man can't earn God's grace. He's unable to do anything that would be pleasing to God in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so he's not able to merit. He can't buy it. There's no way for him to purchase it. Uh, there is no way for man to actually pray for it. In essence, it's not, you know, amount of doing this or that will get God to respond and demonstrate his grace towards us. God shows forth his grace because of his sovereign will. God himself is gracious, and God is the one who shows, demonstrates, bestows his grace as he chooses, as he desires to do so, and it's not based upon man. As a matter of fact, uh, and this is where, again, the conversation I had with this pastor is so important. If you have your Bibles with you, if you go to the book of Genesis chapter 3, and I've mentioned this so many times before, but I'll mention it again, I think today more than ever before, what the visible church needs is a good, wholesome understanding, once again, of Genesis chapter 3. Which simply put, if you would you know put a title on the chapter, it would be the fall of mankind. It's where man sins against God in the garden, and the reason why this chapter is of the utmost importance because without it, we cannot understand not only that which is needed to be understood about God in His grace, about salvation when it comes to God's grace, but also about man that man is fallen, that man is spiritually dead, he's wicked, he's evil, he has, he has completely disobeyed God, he's come against God, and he knew what God had told him, and he did the absolute opposite. And we also realize from chapter 3 uh, that there is a, a judgment, a righteous judgment by God because of what man did. And some may think it's harsh, but it's death, and death ultimately is separation. Uh, death is physical, death is spiritual, death is eternal. 
and man's uh, received the judgment from God, you know, he was already warned by God, and yet he disobeyed God, and God brought forth, because God cannot lie, uh, he is who he is, and when God's word says it, you can guarantee it's going to take place. And so what we have in Genesis chapter 3 is a chapter that every Christian should really know inside and out, and really should grasp this, because this would help us in today, I really believe, in presenting the true biblical gospel. Because once again, we have a, a good, wholesome picture of God, and we have a very solid picture of what man is all about. See, quite often what many people do that is wrong is they go back to the garden, they go back to God creating man before the fall, and they take man and what took place before the fall in the garden, and they try to connect it with mankind today. Man being born into this world, that you know, man is good or perfect and okay until they sin. And, that, and we, gotta be, we can't do that. And the reason we can't do that is because it's not true. Because ever since the fall, there's been a judgment, there's been a curse, and all men who come into this world are born sinners. They are guilty before a holy God, and they will sin, and they are going to no matter what. I mean, and we have to understand these things, and I know that I'm throwing little nuggets here and there, but in chapter 3 of Genesis, I cannot, cannot stress enough that you need to take the time to study but I, I, I want to share with you, and I know you probably maybe heard this before, but as in Genesis chapter 3, we also have the first uh, pre- presentation of the gospel. We have the Proto-Evangelium. We have the, the presentation where God says uh, to the serpent in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel." And here we have the first presentation of the gospel message. And in the midst of this gospel message, we also see that God brings forth his judgment to the women. He tells the woman what she is to expect and what will take place uh, further on in her life, and really for all women. And then he goes and he deals with Adam, Adam being the, as what we would call the federal head, the representation of all mankind. He is the head of man, and God makes it clear to Adam that this is what's going to take place. And the judgment of God is right. It's righteous, and it's just. And uh, so Adam gets this, uh, you know, gets this report from God, or, or just he gets God's response to what is taking place. Now, again, you, you could only imagine the righteousness of God. He's, he's angry. It's a righteous anger and an indignation, a righteous indignation towards man, because man has disobeyed the one thing that God told him not to do, he did. But in the midst of this, it goes back to a question that I have asked people over the years a question that when truly Christ saved me, um, it was one of the very first hurdles when I began to really diligently study the Word of God. Um, It became so apparent to me of God's grace uh, towards Adam and Eve that it it just jumped. I mean, the the Scriptures are, uh, they're, they're alive and they, they are powerful, and I, they're sharper than a two-edged sword. And I can tell you right now that when I saw this for the very first time, I was dumbfounded. I was amazed. I was broken by it. Because the picture of Genesis chapter 3 is not only a picture of our foremother and father, but it is a picture of us. 
we are guilty before God. We are lawbreakers. Um, and that guilt continues when we are brought into this world, and we ourselves are great sinners. We are wicked and evil, depraved, and uh, we're not seeking after God and wanting to serve God. We want to serve ourselves and do our own thing. I mean, we could talk about this for hours upon hours, but what the question that I've asked people over the years is the question that at one evening I asked myself, will I see Adam and Eve in heaven? And i got to be honest with you, I was quite surprised because there's a number of people who say no. Adam and Eve will not be in heaven. Our foremother and father sinned greatly against God. He brought down his just punishment, his judgment upon them, and the truth of the matter is we're not going to see him. But as I study the Scripture, I just right there before me, powerfully witnessed before me, the grace of God. And so if you were to ask me the question, do I believe I will see Adam and Eve? My answer is unashamedly, without a question, without a doubt, yes, they're going to be in heaven. And the reason is, is from Genesis chapter 3. Now in Genesis chapter 3, I told you the last, you know, he starts with the judgment with the serpent, he goes to the woman, and God ends with Adam. Uh, some could say he saved the best for last, but but he really goes to the, the head of the human race and says, now that I've dealt with the serpent, I've dealt with the woman that came from man, I'm dealing with you. And then it tells us in verse 20, now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And verse 21 is the punch. It, it is the uh, absolute crescendo of this. The, everything that has happened so far, uh, you think to yourself, the serpent, you know, uh, Satan, he, he deserves it. I mean, he's evil. He's wicked. He's the one who wanted to be greater than God. We could talk about the passages in Ezekiel and other places. But the bottom line is we're okay. But when we look at Eve, when we look at Adam, we have to get bothered inside. Because some people have even said to me, God's judgment was too harsh, was too great, was overwhelming. And I remind people, as I just shared this recently with another pastor, I said, it's interesting that we see in this passage of chapter 3 the blame shifting. Now, the serpent, when God speaks to the serpent and brings judgment, the serpent doesn't say anything, okay? But what's interesting is the woman... Eve, she blamed the serpent, and Adam blamed the woman that God gave her, the blame-shifting that's going on. And typically, it happens today with all of us, when you think about it, in in our society, in in the mindset, in our culture in general, we want to blame things. We want to blame the parents that raised us. They didn't raise us the best. We want to blame the culture in which we lived. You know, some will say, I, I lived in the poor part of town, or I was raised, you know, with this or that, or I, you know, I, in my surroundings, you know, my, my father was an alcoholic, was, you know, my, my mother, all she did was beat me and yell and scream. And, you know, I mean, we could go on, and the stories have been out there, and people after people, that's why we, we have, you know, that are so famous today, the daytime television, you know, reality shows out there where they're interviewing people, and they're telling the woes about their life, and everything thing that's wrong with them presently is because it's somebody else's fault. We blame shift. But one thing we notice in this passage, that they never ask God for forgiveness. I don't know about you, but if you look at that, you you study it to your blue in the face, you're not going to find it. Not one Adam nor Eve cried out for God's mercy, uh, for God's grace, Not one of them said, God, I I, I am a horrifying sinner. I am wrong before you. 
go ahead, kill me, take my life. We don't, we don't see that. You're just in what you're saying. Well, they knew that what he was saying was just because he's God. He's the creator. He created them. They knew what he had already warned them. I mean, so when you think about this, i got to be honest with you, they're without excuse. And that's we even find that in the book of Romans. The, the truth of the matter is um, all men who come into this world are without excuse before God. They can't blame someone else. They can't blame anything else. They have to take full responsibility for what they have and have not done. But you got to remember that God already gave the warning of what they could and could not do in the garden. But they don't ask God for forgiveness. We, we know that they're afraid. They're hiding. Because they're unholy, they're unrighteous, they're sinners, and God is holy. He is righteous. He's perfect. He's just. He's God. And they're hiding in fear because they recognize their nakedness, they're ashamed. We can go on and on. I mean, there's so much in chapter 3, and I want to be careful. I, I don't want to get into a kind of a sermonette here, but if you study chapter 3, there's so much for us to learn. It is mind-boggling. But what got me the day that God really, as I'm studying this passage, the lights went on, the, you know, I got it, was verse 21. And it says this, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, some people would look at that and say, well, I don't, what do you... Where, where are you going with all this? A little confused here. Well, if you look at this carefully, and you take the time and you break it down, and you start thinking about it, first of all, I want you to understand what happened. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, okay, I, I want you to go back in chapter 3. And it says, we'll start with verse 6, When the woman saw that a tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. Okay, and we could talk about that. We could talk about the temptation. We could talk about all kind of different aspects, how that those things from the, from the delight to the eyes, that it looks good, uh, it's, you're desirable. Once again, you see sin. You realize that Adam and Eve were born innocent or created innocent without sin, but sin was within. In other words, they could sin. Now, some people would say, well, that makes God the creator of sin. I, no, I want you to understand what I've just said. In humanity, when we talk about God creating, everything that God has created, there is only one that is not created who is perfect, who is holy, and who is pure, and that is God himself. So Adam and Eve obviously were created with the ability to sin. The desire just welled up, and we could talk about that for a long period of time, but the desire welled up within her. And what happened? She took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, some people like to make up stories that Adam was on the other side of the garden, hanging out fishing, doing his thing, and he wasn't protecting his wife. And, you know, he wasn't a man standing up and saying, don't do that. You shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. Stay away from that tree. I to God told us, you know. You, I've heard sermons all my life, and I don't know where most of these men come up with these. They make up things that are not found in the Scripture. Adam is with her. She gives to Adam, and Adam eats. In other words, what took place with Eve took place with Adam. 
No different. And matter of fact, I, I want to bring this to a greater, uh, a greater understanding because again, here in Study the Word podcast, though we can't hit every jot and tittle, we do our best to take the Word of God, look at words, look at passages, try to cross-reference, try to gain a greater and, you know, a more deeper understanding of God's Word. But if you have your Bibles for a moment, keep your hand there in Genesis 3, but go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, um, I want you to listen to this very carefully in chapter 1, uh, starting with verse um, 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So right away, what we have to understand in the garden is, Adam and Eve were not tempted by God. Now, I have heard this argument before, and it really it goes against Scripture. Well, if they couldn't eat of the tree, then why did God put the tree there in the first place? And when somebody believes that, that this is what they're saying. God's the one who tempts people. And that goes totally against Scripture. God brings about and allows trials to take place or the testing of your faith. However, God is not the source of temptation. Because temptation's ultimate result, if it's carried out, leads to what? Sin. And that would make God truly the author of sin. God would be the one held guilty and responsible. It's God's fault that the garden and everything happened. And there are people out there who, who teach this stuff, who believe it, and it's not true. He himself does not tempt anyone, verse 13. Now look at 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Um, Eve was tempted carried away, and enticed by her own lust. Now, wait a minute here. Doesn't Genesis chapter 3 tell us that the serpent is the one who brought forth temptation? Yeah, I'm not saying that he wasn't a part of the temptation, so don't get me wrong here. But you got to realize that even the woman blaming the serpent, God doesn't say, okay, Eve, you know what? You're right. It's the serpent's fault. You two go off with your fig leaves, whatever, go down, go have some fun over there, you know, go enjoy enjoy the rest of the garden, I'll deal with this filthy serpent. Did God accept her excuse? The answer's no. See, this tells us, and this takes us a little bit deeper into the Word of God. Each one of us is going to be held accountable before the throne of God. We can't blame other people. We can't say to God, you know the why I'm the way I am? It's because of my mother and father. My father was a drunk. My mother was a liar, a cheater, a manipulator. She filthy mouth. You know, I, I was raised on the poor side. They couldn't provide a good home for me. I got No. You, you can try to blame anybody you want, but that is not going to hold water with God. Each one of us, according to the Scriptures, is held accountable before God in his throne. And that's why it says here, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. 
So the serpent may have said, hey, look at the tree over here. Huh? Looks good. I mean, I mean, is, is God really telling you guys the truth? Or does he not want you to become like him? Whatever the serpent, the enemy, said, we have to realize what carried Eve away and enticed her was her own lust. And I'm here to tell you the same is true with Adam. I've heard the messages. It's Eve's fault. That's what Adam told God. Do you know that basically God got the blame from Adam? It's the woman you gave me. In other words, hey, God, if you didn't give me this woman, I wouldn't have this problem. I'd be okay. See, but once again, it doesn't hold water. And the reason why it doesn't hold water is because what God tells us, each one is carried away and enticed by your own lust. So if you truly find yourself tempted and you conceive, you have no one to blame but yourself. Don't blame the computer industry because you have a computer before you or the Internet that allows you to go to pornography sites. Don't blame that. Though you may have a neighbor next door who's enticing and by the way she dresses, or a coworker by the way he uses sweet words to you, whatever it may be, or the television commercials that are on that talk about how great it is to chug down some beer or, you know, to taste and sip, you know, the great wine or the whiskey or whatever it may be, or, you know, in today's world, you know, you know, smoke a little marijuana. It's good for you. It will help the, the, to ease the pain and to bring you... Co- I mean, we could go on and on and on. Though the temptation of sin is out there, and it comes from many sources. The truth of the matter is we have to come back to a realization that we cannot deny, and that is of the utmost importance. The buck stops with us. We are the one. It's our own lust. Now, what does it say? Let me finish this here in James chapter 1, verse 15. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Verse 16, James 1. Do not be deceived, my brethren, but my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So the bottom line is God can't be blamed. You are the one to blame. This, this is you who will be held accountable. Now, that's why I go back quickly here to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. When the Lord God made the garments of skin, there was truly a sacrifice made. There was the shedding of blood. Ultimately, this is a picture. This is kind of a picture of a precursor, a picture of what was yet to come when God would send his only begotten son and shed his blood so that men may be redeemed, men may be forgiven. He would become the propitiation. He would become the atonement, the ultimate, the perfect sacrifice. But here's a picture that God takes an animal 
and he puts the animal to death, their shedding of blood, and he takes the skins of the animal, and he covers Adam and Eve. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of his grace. He's covering their nakedness. He's covering their sin. He is showing forth his grace and truly saving them. Now, they're still going to die. Now, Adam and Eve did not die immediately. I want you to think about that. That, that We could talk about that for a long time, too. In his judgment, they didn't die immediately. They lived on for quite some time. And then they experienced, as others, as we will do, too, that death is coming about. Things begin to fail. Things begin to happen, and, and, and our body at, at some point in time is going to go into back to the dust of the earth. Our soul is going to be, go back to our Creator. But the, the key picture here is verse 21 is a picture of God's grace. They couldn't merit it. They couldn't gain it. They couldn't grasp it. They didn't even ask for it. But God himself demonstrated his grace because of his character, because of his sovereign will, because he needed to do so. Because if God doesn't save man who is wicked, depraved, man who is a sinner, man who is disobedient, man who is enslaved to sin, the list goes on, who is guilty before God, if God doesn't do it, man can't do it. That's why we tell people we are saved by grace through faith. And even that faith is a gift of God, or a gift from God. And we'll get into that a little bit later on, but but I want you to understand that salvation begins with God. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. If it wasn't for God's grace, none of us would be saved. I've been hearing this a lot lately, and, and a lot of people want to talk about the fairness of God. If God was to be fair to all mankind, all men would be in hell. All men would perish. All men would suffer. There would not be not one man who would be with God, because all men are sinners. All men are guilty before God. And it began with the first man, Adam, and his wife, Eve. That's why when we read in the New Testament, and I'm sure many of you listening have heard this before, but if you go to Romans chapter 5, which is just a powerhouse, I, I cannot... I cannot stress that enough. Romans chapter 5 has so much within that chapter, and I would just encourage you once again to study it very, very carefully. But in Romans chapter 5, listen what we read when we hit verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. Well, who was the one man? Adam. And death through sin, death was the judgment, death was the punishment, the just punishment of God. Death is the curse that's upon mankind. And it is there because of sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the bottom line is the guilt goes around, and the guilt is there before all men. That's why it has become, and it still is down deep inside, something that I cannot get away from. And I'm just telling you, sharing my 
own personal testimony. I am just so passionate about sharing the gospel, defending the faith, making disciples, because I believe without a shadow of a doubt that unless men truly believe, put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ, they too are going to perish. They are going to suffer the wrath of God, the condemnation of God. They are going to experience not just the physical death, but eternal death. They are going to be in the midst of the suffering and the agony of hell itself. They are going to be separated from the presence of Almighty God who is loving, who is kind and compassionate. They will not be. The only attribute of God they will see is his wrath. And so I, since Christ saved me, it has been a purpose. It's been a, 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 it's been a, a, a desire of mine to truly share the good news, the gospel message. And, and as I look at Genesis chapter 3, that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, it, it makes it very plain and clear to me, starting with verse 8, for by grace you've been saved. Stop right there. It all starts with God's grace. If we don't understand this, and, and again, going back to right, right there to Genesis 3, Verse 21, we won't get this. God's grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? The faith that God gives to men to believe. Uh, he also It's God's gift to, for them to repent. But it's God's gift that even the gospel message comes forward to them. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. See, see, the bottom line is man can't make it happen. Man can't find in his own self the ability or cannot find a way or even make a way to make things right with God. That's why if we go a little bit further, for instance, uh, we go to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says that he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. The reason that is because there's no one's righteous. There's not a deed of righteousness that we could do because we're not righteous. It tells us in Romans chapter 3, there's no one who's good and there's no one who's righteous. The only one who's good is God and the only one who's righteous is God. That's why Jesus was good and Jesus is good and Jesus was righteous and is righteous because he's God. But man is not. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. You could replace that word with grace. According to his grace, his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. And again, if you study that to its very end, you'll come to understand it is a work of God. It is God doing what only God can do. I love this passage in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, you have um, this discussion that is taking place in regards uh, to those who have believed the gospel and those who have heard the gospel and how they are saved. And, you know, that someday we will hear on this podcast, we will go into a discussion, a lengthy discussion, about how men are truly saved, because I, I think for many they don't quite understand. But in this there's a council that is formed, a council at Jerusalem. And in this is a presentation that is being brought forward. 
And as Peter stood up, he does start in verse 7 of chapter 15 of Acts. He makes his presentation, and he talks about, Brethren, that you know in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Now, here's the yoke. It goes back to verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And it started, it started a war. It started a, a great dis- dissension and discussion amongst uh, of the believers. And, and Paul and Barnabas and Peter and all of them, the council at Jerusalem, everybody's involved. But here's what Peter says that I, I want to capitalize on, verse 11. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they also are. In other words, all men are saved the same way, through the grace of the Lord Jesus. It's God's grace. It's because of his grace. It is by his grace. There is no other way to be saved. And when you look at that, it also brings me to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, which says, for the wages of sin is death, which we know, the result, the just punishment, the condemnation that was brought forth by God is death because of sin. But the last part of the verse is where I want to focus for just a moment. Listen to these words, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that free gift Listen to me. I hear people say, all you have to do is open the present. Grab it from underneath the tree. We're not talking about Christmas gifts here. We're not talking about worldly things. We're talking about salvation. We are talking about the sovereign will and act of God. We are talking about God's grace. And God's grace is bestowed upon men as God so chooses and that's what really comes down to really the the crux, crux excuse me of all of it it's not an issue of man's will or what man wants and what man desires it is an issue of what god has to say when it comes to his grace Matter of fact, before we close out today I want to share this with you because I think it's of of the utmost importance If we don't understand that it's all about grace and not about man, then we have completely missed the understanding about the gospel. We have come to a point and place where we will not be able to proclaim the true gospel message because we make man the focal point, and when it comes to the gospel, the good news, the focal point is God. It is what God has done 
by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world. See, some would say, okay, but wait a minute, the gospel message is to be preached, this good news to all men, because all men need this because all men are sinners. I agree with you 100%. But you have to understand, once again, as we talk about God offering the gospel message, this gospel of grace, we have to come to that point and place of beginning to realize wholeheartedly that this is all about God and not about man. It's not about man seeking after it, wanting it, desiring it, longing it, uh, or in our day and age in which we live, that they believe that they some type, they have a right to it. They're entitled to be saved by God. No one is entitled to be saved by God. That's not what grace is about. That's why when you understand true biblical grace, the grace of God, that's why we can honestly sing together the hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that God saved what? A wretch like me. Because you once were lost, but now you're found. I, I mean, I could go on and on. When you start thinking about this, and you, and you really begin to grasp, but see, what we've, we've turned God's grace into is a package or um, a gift, because of that word being used right there in Romans 6.23, that is somehow it is sitting there for everyone. Or it is a package to be purchased, like, like you go to Walmart or any store, and if you're in need of this, you'd go ahead and you purchase it. Now, some would say, no, I wouldn't go that far, because we know that Christ is the one who purchased it, but he gives it there, and you have to pick it up. You have to open the package. you got to do this. you got to do that. You're missing the point. Adam and Eve didn't do anything. That's my point. That's what became so amazing about Genesis chapter chapter 3, verse 21. When God did what he did, he did it because he chose to do it. He showed forth his grace. They didn't deserve it. He didn't say, you do this. Go get me an animal. Slaughter that animal. Sacrifice it to me. That sweet aroma would come to my throne and, and please my nostrils. And by doing this, I'll, I'll take the skins or, you know, and you wrap them around yourself and you do the... I mean, he, see, I don't want to go somewhere I shouldn't go with this. What I'm trying to display here is that God did what he did in verse 21, and he did it by his grace. He does the same thing when it comes to salvation. That's why the holy God who dwells in heaven, he provides hope to all men by offering all men who are sinners his grace. And the next time we get together, I am going to um, share some passages to give you a better understanding of man being a sinner, because I think we need that. I, I still think that too many are shying away from that today because some say it's offensive, some say it's too heavy. You know, people don't like that. I, it's not about what they like. They need to know the truth. It's the truth that truly, as we pro- proclaim, we're trusting God to do the work that only God can do. But when we come back next time, too, I'm going to demonstrate even further God's grace in salvation. Because I think what we have to do is we have to come to a point of understanding that this is not about me. This is all about the glory of God. He gets all the glory. Grace is about God. But he offers this grace, this unmerited favor, this blessing, this kindness to men who are sinners. And that is of the utmost importance for all of us to understand. I really, truly hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and the Lord willing, we'll be back again with more of Study the Word podcast. 
Thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast with Bible teacher Dr. Marty Minto. If you have questions in regards to today's study or any questions about the Bible and or spiritual issues, then email us at studythewordpodcast at gmail.com. We hope through today's teaching you have learned biblical truth so that you can teach others and defend the Christian faith. Tell others about Study the Word Podcast available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. Once again, thanks for listening to Study the Word Podcast with Dr. Marty Mento.